Hello, and welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad to have you back. This season, we're focusing on the experience of women in the workplace, particularly here in Utah. A recent study published by WalletHub ranked Utah as last in the nation when it comes to income equality for women, 48th in women's representation in executive leadership roles, and among the lowest when it comes to women's educational attainment. Female entrepreneurs face additional challenges both in Utah and nationally. For example, nationwide, only 2% of venture capital goes to women-founded firms. Here to talk about the challenges and experiences of female entrepreneurs is Heather Barber. Heather is a highly rated speaker and facilitator with more than 18 years of experience as an entrepreneur, a business owner, college professor, coach, and workshop leader. Her specialty is helping leaders amplify their authenticity and become better versions of themselves. Heather, thanks so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Well, Heather, we've just heard the numbers, but let's put some personal experiences behind the data. Tell us, do these ring true to you? What has your experience been as a female entrepreneur? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting place. Utah is a very interesting place. Interesting in that we value two things at the same time and it's very rare that they can coexist together. And the two things are, you know, raising a family and having a family oriented and working mom. It's difficult. It's very difficult. So we have this almost cognitive dissonance. We want women at home, raising families, being with their children Utah's also a place with a lot of ambition, a lot of innovation. How do those combine into specific challenges? Do you have any examples in your own experience of how that tension manifested itself? Okay, so here's here's Heather Barber in a nutshell. I actually graduated from the University of Utah when I was 18, and I started my master's when I was 19, and I was raring. To go. I mean, I was like, okay, let's get serious here. So I started my first company when I was 22. When I was 25, I got married and I was like, okay, you just, you get married and you have babies and, you know, move on. And this is how things go. And that's not what happened for me. So I spent all of my twenties building a business and working on my business, everything from you know, taking out the trash to like swiping my credit card to make payroll and things like that. Like I learned the ins and outs and I learned my business better than anyone. And then when I was 30, I gave birth to my first child and I always thought I would go back to work, always. But that didn't happen either. My first child ended up being special needs. She had a surgically implanted feeding tube for four years. So by the time I got her up and going and no more hospital stays and, you know, all this therapy and all these other things. And we taught her how to eat. And my business was going so well. I'm like, I'm just going to mess this thing up if I go back to it. So I ended up being a stay-at-home mom for 13 years. I had my second one when I was 37. And now, like a week and a half ago, 
do I have my life back and I can pursue my speaking, my facilitation, all of these things. But it has been a career pivot. That's the other thing is that my my original business was large format printing and advertising. And that's humming, that's going well, that you know, that's just taking care of itself. So I took that opportunity to open up a new business, but I am starting from scratch, literally scratch. And I'm 42 years old. So it's hard. It's really, really, really hard societal pressure, family pressure, literally everything just coming in from everywhere. Absolutely. And I think this leads to another question, which is there are these personal pressures that women feel, right? To have a family, to be involved in a certain way, these external pressures from society that this is the timeline you should be following and these are the things that you should want. But I'm curious, Heather, for you to talk a little bit about how those things combine to create cultures in companies that don't recognize or don't address that tension. So as all these pieces are influencing women, they're also influencing corporations and organizations. How do all those factors in a company culture sense create extra challenges for women. I saw LinkedIn post this week that I gave a thumbs up and I was like, this is exactly my life right now. And it just said like, reminder, kids are going back to school this week. And a lot of this falls on your female employees. So be kind, you know, scheduling an 8 a.m. meeting is going to be rough. And so keep that in mind. And it's different things like that. We have a really, really cute woman that works for us at my printing company. And she takes her lunch at three o'clock every day so she can pick up her daughter from school and make sure that she gets home, gets a snack, and then she comes back to the office for another hour and a half. Just being aware of what other people can do and what time is our most valuable resource. And for me, my family is is paramount for my time. Like I, I need to reserve that time for them. So going to a business dinner at six o'clock doesn't exist in my life. I say no to every single one, which has hurt me over the years because these friendships are formed and these networks are formed and the boys club just gets bigger and stronger and I'm literally running carpool to dance. That's where I am in my life. So it's hard. I think this is an interesting sort of almost like shadow consequence. And I've heard other professional women talk about this, that there's your work day and the sort of organized, structured, sort of operationalized mentoring and work and collaboration that happens in the nine to five. And then there is this informal mentoring, relationship building, skill teaching that happens at lunch and on the golf course and over dinner. And women who work and have families in particular, but even women who work and don't have families 
are often really excluded from these experiences for this informal mentoring that makes a huge difference, especially when you get to executive levels. You hit the nail on the head. FaceTime, that's what it is. You have to have the FaceTime to get the clients, to get the promotion, to get, you have to be in the same room as the people making the decisions. Your network is your net worth, you know, isn't that the the saying? And to go back to what you said about venture capitalists, Utah is an unbelievable place to do business. So let me just like to say that right there. But Silicon Slopes is unreal. And they have all of these events at 9 a.m. to 10.30 on a Friday morning. If your kid has late start in middle school, are you going to go to that venture capitalist meeting or are you going to bring your kid to middle school? The founder's circle usually meets from 6 to 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. Again, I'm running carpool. So when they are ready to fund their next venture, are they going to fund someone who just, you know, typed up a whatever and has been emailing or the person that they sat next to for three hours at a dinner and know everything about him and his dog's name and where he's going on vacation. So it makes it difficult. It makes it really difficult. Now, let me give you the flip side of that. I, in my experience, and this is what happened with me, is you see a lot more women bootstrapping their businesses. And I don't have someone over my shoulder. I don't have an angel investor in my ear that it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have a majority shareholder. I don't have all of these things because I bootstrapped my business because it wasn't available to me. <laughs> so I see that as an advantage for some women. They don't have to answer to anyone. They're doing things the way that they want to do it. Now that might not translate into a market cap that these VC funded businesses are doing, but these women are making good cash money. So give and take that way. I mean, this season we're talking about all different kinds of challenges that women face in the workplace for a lot of different reasons. And what's coming out to me for entrepreneurs in particular is access access to the ear of people who can give you money, access to the time that you need to really plan your business and put it into action, access to mentors and people who can give you their advice and their guidance. Talk a little bit about the role of mentors, Heather, in your journey as an entrepreneur and now as you coach other people and mentor other people. How is that a tool that we can use to maybe overcome some of these challenges as women in the workplace? So I was extremely fortunate. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. When I was in high school, I kid you not, like my mother is like superwoman. So she was running a business. She was completing her master's in education to become a professor. She was the Relief Society president of our local church congregation, which is in charge of all 500 women within a geographical area. So not a small feat. <laughs> it's a huge job. And then she had four kids on top of that. 
So my mom was such an example of a woman being successful outside of the home as well as inside the home. So I never saw it as a challenge to me. I just I just thought that's the way that life is. Having someone that looks like you, that acts like you, that comes from the same background that you do and is in a position where you want to be is invaluable. I think that these successful women exist, but younger women have a hard time accessing them for the same thing that we talked about is there's only X amount of time in a day. You can't take on five mentees, run a family and run a business. So I don't know what the answer is. (laughs) I don't have an answer for that, but it is invaluable to see the end result and see someone succeeding who is just like you. It seems like in some ways the answer is volume, right? The more women we have in the aspirational executive position, the more women there are to mentor, more women one level down, we just need more. There seems to be this place that is just a hump that's extra hard to get over. Talk about what those specific challenges are for women trying to transition from mid-level management into executive positions. What do you see as the things that are holding them up? So let me give you an example of a business that I was just working with. There is a bright, ambitious, amazing woman late 20s, early 30s, hungry. I am talking a hungry, hungry leader. And she says yes to everything. So she's an attorney and she wants to make partner and she wants to do these different things. Can you help me on this case? Absolutely. Can you do this deposition for me? I'm on it. Can you file this paperwork for me? No problem. That's below my pay grade, but I'll do it anyway. Can you come in on Saturday? Yes, absolutely. So for years, she's been saying yes to everything and has literally become indispensable to this firm to the point where they cannot even consider bringing her into a management position because they would have to hire three people to replace her. So the moron, you know, who says no to everything, who's got his eye on the prize, he gets the promotion, she doesn't. The single most valuable thing you can learn to do is say no. You need to be laser focused. If if this is what you want to do, be laser focused. And you can be nice, you can be kind. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Yeah. But say no if it doesn't fit within your exact parameter, specification, say no and politely decline, but be firm with your boundaries. I think that's such interesting advice. I'm so glad you bring this up because I think it's probably counter to the way that a lot of us think about ambition. Absolutely. Women especially maybe, which is to get ahead, I have to have my fingers everywhere. 
I have to be doing everything. That's how I show that I'm hungry. That's how I show that I want it. So the thing that we feel like is going to get us where we want to be is actually the thing that could be holding us back. That's absolutely true. And if you look at any business leader, so Warren Buffett, you know, Steve Jobs, all of these different people, they'll say no to 99% of anything you bring to them because they are laser focused on, I call it their top, you know, five goals. If it doesn't fit within these five things, it doesn't fit in their life. I wonder if it also is an opportunity to think about mentoring in a different space and to say to someone, I can't do that for you. I'm going to say no, but let me show you how to do it or let me point you in the right direction of someone else. So not only do we create a more streamlined experience for ourselves to stay focused on where we're going, but we also create more sustainability, more efficiency, more productivity for our organization by enabling more people to do more things. Okay, let me say another thing about mentoring since you brought that up. And this is something that I am passionate about too. Let's talk about reverse mentoring for a bit, okay? So traditionally, you have an older established mentor who is exactly where you want to be and took steps one, two, three, four, five. This workplace is different. We have baby boomers who are working well into their 70s We have so many different ethnicities and genders and so many different people in the workplace that the traditional mentor model, I believe, doesn't exist anymore. So here's a little piece of advice to you young, hungry women out there. Let's say you're 21, 22. What are the things that you know how to do really well? social media, (laughs) advertising, marketing. I mean, you have got this stuff down. Just put a little bug in your ear. What if you reverse mentored the CEO of a company? I love that. I've never heard it before, but I think you're exactly right. It solves two problems. It solves this issue of access and it solves this issue of how do I make a value add to the company in a way that helps me reach my goals as an employee. So I get both things with one, with just knowing how to use Instagram. (laughs) Seriously though, like I'm a mom in, in Utah and I'm on Instagram constantly. And a gentleman I was working with is like, oh, I don't even do Instagram for my business. And I'm like, do you realize how many people you're missing out on? Because I'm your target audience and literally that's where I live is on Instagram. So, you know, maybe you want to rethink that strategy there a bit. Now's the time to figure it out. Yeah. I feel like my most used emoji when I'm texting with the person on my team who is in charge of social media is the grandma emoji. (laughs) I'm always like, can you make a real grandma emoji? (laughs) How do I change the text on this slide? Grandma emoji. But she is reverse mentoring me. Absolutely. She is showing me how to do it and we're both gaining so much from it. Well, she also needs to recognize that she is doing that 
and put it on her resume, put it on her CV, that this is what she's doing. She's mentoring other people in social media usage and recognizing that as a valuable skill that employers are looking for. I think this is a really interesting difference between boomers, and you made a great point earlier that not only do we have more diversity of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation within the workplace, but we're also talking about people in their 70s working with people in their 20s and the different ways that we approach work and work-life balance But this shift, I feel like, in the workplace to be our whole selves and to not just say, this is my work self where I don't talk about my personal life, where I don't talk about my family, but instead creating spaces where Francis at home is the same as Francis at work, is the same at Francis with the moms at school, is the same Francis with her friends. I agree. And it requires us to be vulnerable, which is hard. I mean, that's, it's scary. And so it's easier just to be work Heather and PTA Heather and, you know, family Heather. But am I ever going to be happy doing that? No. Yeah, I think the reward is so great for us as people and for the cultures that we're influencing to get a little uncomfortable and be okay with that because the payoff for us and for other people will be really big in the end. Agreed. I think this gets to something else we're talking about this season, which is one of the Eccles School values, which is empathetic global citizenship. But this idea of empathy and the role that it can and should play in companies as we understand, are exposed to, embrace different experiences, the needs that different people might have that are different from our own. What do we gain in a corporate culture? What is the role of empathy? I love that that's one of the things that the Eccles School is focusing on is empathy because you rarely hear that in any business situation at all. Usually it's very black and white. And empathy is one of those soft skills that can be learned and can be taught, but it might not be in the workplace that it's learned and taught. It's a skill that needs to be acquired other places. Like we talked about before, the workplace is so diverse and different than it was even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. In 1970, the nuclear family was defined as a married male and a female with a child under 18 years old living in the home. That was the definition of a nuclear family. And 40% of Americans fit that exact definition. Francis, I want you to guess how many American households fit that exact definition today in 2023. Oh, man. Okay. I'm going to say it's less than 10%. You're exactly right. Yay. That was, I gave myself some leeway there. I didn't pick an exact number, but. Yeah, you are exactly right. So if 90% of the people don't fit that model, why are we still catering to that model? Can we 
reevaluate the empathy, the tolerance, the, for lack of a better word, the love for other people, just the giving other people a chance and a leeway and the permission to be different than us. I think that's something that millennials, Generation Z, whatever I'm not a part of, I think they're better at doing that. And here we go, our reverse mentoring. I've learned a ton from these younger generations where they just say, oh, you know what? We're going to do it this way. We're not going to do it this way. I mean, nothing's set in stone. You know, let's change it. If we see a problem, let's change it. Well, Heather, you've given so much great advice in our time together today. I've loved all of it. To finish up, my last question, and this is something I ask all my guests, is what advice do you wish that you had when you were starting out? Or what piece of advice would you give to women who are preparing to enter the workforce today? I think we hit on it earlier. Learn to say no. And no is a complete sentence. We don't need to have qualifiers to that. No is a complete sentence. Such great advice. I love that. Heather, I have enjoyed our conversation so much today. I'm so grateful that you joined me. Thank you for having me. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode exploring the experience of women in the workplace and how more diverse companies and communities can help us all develop a little more empathy. I really hope you'll join us. Don't forget to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time. Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.